You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. I want to just give a round of applause to our worship team again. If, if you haven't noticed, it's Epic Led Sunday, as Brittany said, and as you have seen, our students on display in their leadership today from our worship team. Uh, when you walked in the front door, you saw our students to the on stage, and even in the booth, we have two guys that are back there holding it down. They've doing, done a great job this morning. I also just want to thank all of my leaders who pour into our students week after week, the, the time and the commitment that you give to our students, I'm grateful for. Also, um, most importantly, we thank our parents. We thank the parents who bring your students day in and week after week. Thank you. And two days a week. I don't know if you guys know this, but we meet on Sunday nights and Wednesdays, and most of these students come both nights. So they come and worship and wholeheartedly go after God two days a week, and I'm just so very proud of them. So my generation, the millennials, have been considered the hinge generation. It was during our childhood years that the universe more, moved from a more analog existence to a digital one. So while I remember a time before smartphones and even Google, I also came about during the time that social media um, took off. And for many of us millennials, we were shaped by the internet world. If you're anything like me, I have a hard time putting into perspective that millennials aren't kids anymore, that I'm not a kid anymore. The youngest millennials are in their late 20s, while the oldest millennials are in their early 40s. Author Campbell McPherson said this about my generation. I love the way millennials accept change instinctively. Not only have they grown up knowing that change is inevitable, they look around, see what needs to be changed, and get on with it. And my, how things have changed, right? Throughout the years, things change. So let me illustrate that to you. I'm going to ask you some questions, and you're going to kind of act out the response. You'll understand as the questions get going. So here's the first one. Show me how would you answer a phone, right? Some of these, they were at our service, so they're doing it the right way. So most of us over here are doing this, right? Uh, some of our students are doing one of these, you know, or this. How would you roll down a car window? Right? See, everybody over here is just pressing a button, right? We're all like this. All right, next, how would you take a picture? Right? So some of them are doing that. We got Bo in the back doing a selfie, you know, where they're holding up the phone, pressing the button. We don't think about these things until someone asks us to think about them. But the fact is, as the world changes, our perspectives change to reflect the fact that generationally, we are different. We answer phones differently. We think differently. We even talk differently. Can I get an amen from all my parents and grandparents who are just trying to understand what your kid is talking about? Yeah. Yes, Marcia. That's dope. <laughs> When I look around this room, I see many generations represented. While some of us, or all of us, have been shaped 
by our, our childhood, our culture, and the things that we experienced in our generation. While some may, see, may say that seeing our differences divides us, I actually think that knowing our stories unites us. Jesus himself taught us this. Jesus coached people towards the kingdom by knowing their stories and knowing where they were and getting them to where they needed to be. He saw people. He heard them. And he had grace for the people who had a hard time seeing other people as God sees them. This is the key to intergenerational ministry. It's learning to see people as God sees them, looking for their potential and calling out their goodness. Today, I want us to spend some time talking about about why it matters that we don't overlook our stories. So if you'll grab your Bible, something to write with, something to write on, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 today, starting in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So we know that Jesus and at least Simon have been invited to a Pharisee's house. They're at a dinner party. And now this woman has busted in, interrupted the party. She's crying all over Jesus' feet, wiping it away with her hair, kissing her feet, kissing his feet. I can imagine probably people are kind of looking at each other with some weird looks, maybe whispering like, what the heck is she doing? (laughs) We know for sure what the Pharisee is thinking because Scripture tells us that he says to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she's a sinner. I have to laugh at the little tagline that gets added there. It reminds me of my daughter Ivy, who is four, that you all saw during worship, who made her way to the stage. When her and her brother Bo are fighting or getting in trouble, she always has to have the last word. It's the, yeah, Bo, you should be nice to me, which she always tends to say when she's actually the one who started the fight. 
So Jesus reads the room, and then Jesus does what he does, and he goes in and he starts telling everybody what they're doing wrong. Wait, that's not right. No, what he does instead is he starts telling them a story. Jesus often uses stories, we call them parables, um, in Scripture. Stephen Spywick writes that parables have a place in the tradition of Jewish storytelling. And Jesus' parables used elements of everyday life to illustrate a more profound message. So I wonder if you know why epic is called epic. I'm going to tell you the story today. So we have to go all the way back to when Christopher was the youth pastor, so way back. When he didn't have gray hair, that's true. And he brought to our leadership team the idea of changing our name. You see, Chris had felt the Holy Spirit had shifted our mission and our vision, and he wanted our name to reflect that. An epic in literature is a long poem or story, typically one derived from an ancient oral tradition, narrating the deeds and the adventures of a heroic, legendary figure or a history of a nation. Christopher knew that this is an epic. A long story with lots of smaller stories derived from both oral and written tradition that narrates the heroic and legendary person and character of God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. That our relationship with this epic is about learning God's story and finding our place in his story. According to some scholars, Jesus tells close to 30 different teaching stories in Scripture. Jesus likes to share some stories, not just as a way of revealing deeper truths, but of transforming lives and building relationships. All those years ago, Christopher was helping our student ministry to root ourselves in this idea that when Jesus is telling a story, we should pay attention because the story matters. So if this story matters... Let's look at it a little bit more deeply. So Jesus tells Simon this story after Simon is kind of quietly questioning why this woman is here. There are two people who owed money to someone. One owed a lot of money and the other owed about a tenth of that, much less. But neither had the money, had the money to pay them back. And so he forgave both their debts. Then Jesus, is, Jesus finishes this story with a question, like any good teacher does. Which of these will love the lender more? And Simon answers, I guess the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus replies, you've judged correctly. I would have been like, oh, good, I got it right. <laughs> I don't know about your experience with owing money to someone, but it can be a pretty heavy burden. Whether it's a personal loan from a family member or student loan debt, that burden can be crippling for some of us. It's crippling because we know our stories and we know what the burden of debt has done to shape them. We also know the burden of our spiritual debts. The marks against us that the enemy uses to attack us. The shame, isolation, rejection, that we feel, and the lies of the enemy that we believe about our mistakes and our sins. So now imagine someone comes in and tells you that they have forgiven all of your debt. You owe no more money. You're good. 
me, I'm probably going to be freaking out, probably crying, overwhelmed with emotion and thanks. But why? Why would we be so overwhelmed with emotion and thanksgiving? Because forgiveness radically transforms our stories. We know the power of forgiveness. We know how our stories have been transformed by the blood and the power of Jesus Christ. This room is full of transformed stories. Mosaic was built on a transformed story. Jesus is in the transforming business. There's no logical way that our stories make sense apart from his forgiveness. My story, walking into the doors of Mosaic a little over 10 years ago, I was expecting a baby when I was 19. Then, to becoming the youth pastor here when I was 27. And then, at 30, just a few months ago, applying for seminary. That's only possible because God's forgiveness radically transformed my story. So here in Luke, we're seeing the power of a transformed story and how it affects everyone around. So let's look back at Luke, starting in verse 44. Simon has answered Jesus' question, and Jesus has affirmed the answer. And then in 44, it says, Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them away with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So here again, we see a good teacher asking a good question. Jesus asked Simon, do you see this woman? His question takes us all the way back to Genesis and the story of Hagar, who was Sarai's slave. Remember that God had given Abram and Sarai a promise that they would have a child and that God would make Abram into a great nation. However, the story doesn't seem to be going that way. There's no baby. And so Sarai decides to give Hagar her slave to Abram. He sleeps with her, and now she is pregnant with Ishmael. Once Sarai gets the very thing she thought that she wanted, she becomes angry, and she sends Hagar away. Hagar is in alone in the desert crying out, and an angel comes to visit her. The angel speaks encouragement and direction over her life, and then Hagar gives God a name. She's the only person in Scripture ever to give God a name. The name is El Roy, the God who sees me. That very character and name of God given by a woman who was seen as less than, takes us all the way back to this moment with a woman who is seen as less than at the feet of Jesus and Jesus asking Simon, do you see her? 
Jesus is asking Simon to set aside his condemnation of her so that he can see the beautiful story that God's writing now. He's asking Simon not to see her reputation and think she doesn't belong here, doesn't belong, doesn't, shouldn't be touching Jesus, but to see that her forgiveness that she's received has radically transformed her story and that it has now called her to pour out worship and adoration. The story matters. Forgiveness radically transforms our stories. And radically transformed stories call us to worship, serve the Lord, and build community. Jesus was able to look at this woman and offer her a real transformation through forgiveness. Not just because he was a kind and loving rabbi, but because he knew that the cross was ahead of him. He knew that the very debt of sin and shame that she was carrying, he soon would take on his own and pay in full for her. We too, who have accepted Jesus' gift of salvation, have had that forgiveness radically transform us. And now we stand with the question ahead of us, what do we do now? Keith Anderson and Randy Reese write in their book, Spiritual Mentoring, A Guide to Seeking and Giving Direction, that Jesus not only spent time instructing and training and informing, Jesus spent much time forming a community. Remember what we said at the beginning. Jesus coached people towards the kingdom by seeing where they were and getting them where they needed to be. He saw people. He heard them. He had grace for the ones who had a hard time seeing others as Jesus saw them. That's our key to intergenerational ministry. To see people, to learn their stories, look for their potential, and call out their goodness. Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, Paul and Timothy, Jesus and the disciples. These are just some examples of spiritual mentoring-type relationships that we see in Scripture. Their stories show us what it looks like to raise up the next generation of leaders. Not only do the mentees watch the practical ministry skills and leadership, but they also learn the stories of God's faithfulness, His forgiveness, correction, love, and healing. Jesus didn't just teach His disciples how to write sermons make a budget, or order enough pizza for a youth group. (laughs) Pizza math is really hard, if you didn't know. No, what he did was he invited them to see his story, God's story, to discover their own stories within God's story, and then to go out and help other people do the same. It's what we say at Mosaic. Not only do we help people become whole through Jesus, but we help people help people become whole through Jesus. Our transformed stories are not just for us. Our testimonies are a way of telling about the goodness of God, the radical transforming power of his forgiveness. Henry Nouwen says that we have a call to be the wounded healers. He understood that only those whose own hearts had been wounded by the suffering of life can be authentically available to others. It's through the sharing of our histories, our stories of joy and pain, 
that we can serve the needs of others, which is ministry. How many of you know about your family history? I can really only go back a couple of generations, but here's what I've learned over the last 10 years of my healing journey. If we don't know or we're unwilling to face our family cycles and curses, we are doomed to keep repeating them. The family of faith works the same. We want people to come alongside of us, to pour into us. We want friendship, support, mentorship in life and in our walk with God. Friends, spiritual mentorship is so important. It's not about having our lives all figured out and then going and telling someone else how to get it all figured out. It's more like climbing up a mountain, knowing someone is coming behind you, so you take a minute to turn around and tell them where the loose rocks are. Each of us can look around the room at someone older or younger or even both and say, I admire their faith. I admire the way they worship. Or I admire their whatever. And decide that you want to go and know their story. Know why they worship that way. Know why their faith is lived out in that way. And deciding that you also want them to know your story. This is the call of every believer of Jesus. We do it by being humble enough and vulnerable enough to share our stories. To listen to others and to ask good questions. It's the key to raising up the next generation, learning to see people as God sees them, looking for their potential and calling out their goodness. So when I see generational differences as a part of our stories and not as something that separates us, I can better understand how our stories have been shaped. I'm able to have compassion towards others when I know their story. And as the Spirit leads, I'm able to pour into their lives in a way that they can receive it. The story matters. Forgiveness radically transforms our stories. And radically transformed stories call us to worship, serve the Lord, and build community. When I was a kid, one of my favorite books that my mom would read me is Stone Soup. Does anybody know that story? Yeah. So I'll give you a a brief description of the story. There is a traveler who comes into town, and he's got nothing but basically a crock pot. No one in the village wants to give him any food, though. And so in the middle of town, he fills his crock pot with water and some stones and turns it on and starts cooking. Now the villagers are kind of like, what is he doing? I want to know what he's doing. And so they ask him, what are you making? Stone soup, of course. It's the best soup around. Well, the villagers don't want to miss out on the best soup ever. And so they want some of the soup. But the traveler tells them, while this is a very good soup, it's missing a few ingredients. Not wanting to miss out, the villagers then offer up a way to help. They offer some carrots, potatoes, onions, cabbage, peas, tomatoes, chicken, pork, beef, milk, butter, salt, and pepper. I would have added some garlic powder. So at the end, as the soup has now come together, the traveler then takes those stones out and serves the soup, and they enjoy a meal together. 
sitting down with someone who is not your age or your stage of life can feel a little bit like drinking just that stone soup. It's hard. And from the outside looking in, it doesn't look very appetizing when it's just some water and some stones. But when you add your story and someone else adds their story in, now we've got some flavor, some character. We've got the beginnings of a beautiful soup. Today, you've seen some of our students' talents on display. I really could have spent the whole morning just going name by name of our students, telling you what they mean to me and the gifts that they bring to this community. While I won't be able to name them all, I'm going to tell you about some of their gifts. We have singers, musicians, prayer warriors. We have students who can program computers and win almost any video game. Our students are creative, not just in what they make with their hands, but in the dreams that they dream. We have students who are funny and caring. We have a student who gives the best and most thoughtful gifts. We have athletes and actors. And I told one student recently that if I am ever shipwrecked or lost in the woods, he better be with me because I would trust my life on his survival skills. <laughs> we have students who show up and pour into their community. We have students who face their fears, step outside of their comfort zones, and wholeheartedly go after God. Students, I could spend also a lot of time going through this room of the adults and telling you their gifts and what they mean and how you are better because of them. In this room, we have pastors, teachers, artists, adults who play video games, and athletes. We have veterans in this room. We have those who have lost loved ones, raised families, and built businesses. We have those who have been set free from addiction, depression, fear, and anxiety. We have those who are filled with the joy of the Lord, the gift of prophecy, and those who have a deep heart to intercede in prayer for our community. Can you imagine the flavor if we put all of these gifts and skills into a conversation and stirred them up, the enjoyment we'd experience, nourishment for our souls. Now that's some good soup. Yeah. I want to empower each of you as people whose stories have been transformed by the power and the blood of Jesus to find someone and share your story. Next weekend, several of us in this room will be on the church-wide retreat. This is a perfect opportunity for you to sit down with someone, really see them, to hear their stories and tell them yours, to see people as God sees them, looking for their potential and calling out their goodness. Friends, the story matters. Forgiveness radically transforms our stories. And radically transform stories, call us to worship, serve the Lord, and build community. One of the very best ways that we can care for one another's stories is to pray for each other. We are about to enter into a time of prayer, and we want to spend time praying over the generations. I'm going to invite my prayer leaders to come forward and just line up here. 
While they're coming, I want to explain how this is going to work. In just a moment, I'm going to call age groups to stand if you're able or to come to the altar. And if you're around someone who is standing, I want you to come around them and pray for them as our prayer leaders up here lead us in that prayer. And so the first group, if you are 18 years old or younger, would you please stand? And if you guys can move and come around them or extend a hand towards them. And there's some over here on this side of the room as well. And Greg is going to lead us in a prayer. Uh, Father, I look at these amazing kids and I see the future of your church. I see the legacy that Mosaic will one day leave to our community. God, bless our kids with your presence so that they know that no matter how good or how hard things get, that you are there to be their strength and their shield. Lord, bless their friendships. May they provide comfort, encouragement, and refuge from the stress and anxieties of the world. Finally, Lord, bless them with community. Help us as a church to come around these young people, to shepherd them and build them up so that they are prepared to go out and make Jesus and his kingdom known to the world. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, if you are 19 to 29, year old, 29 years old, will you please stand? And you'll come around them as Margie leads us in prayer. <laughs> Lord God, I pray for young adults, those who are finding their way in life. As they come into who they are as adults, I ask that you lead and guide them. Grant them the courage to act with integrity and love compassion and mercy, grace and wisdom. Protect them from unnecessary hardship and give them strength and perseverance to live faithfully through the realities of life as an independent adult. Grant them godly companions and mentors as they become godly companions and mentors for those who follow behind. Love them well, Lord, as they become the leaders of tomorrow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, if you are 30 to 49, year old, 49 years old, will you please stand? And Dovey will lead us in prayer. Lord, I pray for everyone 30 to 49 years old. I pray that during this active time in their lives, they would find peace in you. Please let them know that when things get hectic, they can trust in you. They are never alone. Amen. Now, if you are 50 to 69 years old, will you please stand? Dear, dear God, thank you for today and all the 50 to 69-year-old people here today. I pray for all the parents, since we would not be here now if it wasn't for y'all. I pray for the parents whose children are already adults or married, that they, are, that they and many others will live long and fruitful to see their grandchildren and may, may be their great-grandchildren too. I pray for the 50 to 69-year-olds' good health and continue to see where you, God, are at work with are at work and how to help with that work as they have a purpose to 
and God will guide them. In God's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, if you are 70 years old or up, would you please come around those people as Gabby leads us in prayer. Lord, I pray for those in this room who are 70 plus years old. I want to first thank you for the legacy of faith they have created and passed down to us. I pray that you will continue to pour out your Holy Spirit on their lives and continue to increase their faith and call for years to come. Yes. Amen. Amen. Friends, your story matters. Amen? Your story matters, and God is not done writing your story. We're going to continue to worship. The altar is open. Some of you need to come forward and spend some time with the author of your story. If you would like prayer, I'll be down here. Carolyn will also be available. Lord, we thank you. God, thank you for the good soup in this room. Thank you for the stories, Lord. Thank you for the stories of your faithfulness and your goodness. God, thank you that you are in this story. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.